Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? That's good, good. It's good to hear it. Well, I just want to remind you where we are in the text as we study the Gospel of Luke. We're on a journey of pain with Jesus, if you will. A few weeks ago, Luke told us that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And what we saw was that means that the rest of our text, until we arrive in Jerusalem in the Gospel, that that's the context. It's one unit of Scripture that we want to... Keep that in our forefronts of our minds each week that as we think about these things that we're learning about what it means to be a disciple, that the context is that we're on a journey of pain and suffering that ends in the cross, that ends in our leader dying on the cross. And that is just so very important, especially today we're going to see how that gives us the framing or the context or the direction of our prayers. Uh, Several weeks ago, we saw we were challenged to understand that following Jesus on this journey meant some very hard things, that we have to be willing to sacrifice the comforts of home, the control of our calendar, and the closeness of relationships. And I'm still hearing from you about that message and how terrible it was to hear in a good way, that the Lord is really challenging all of us. Also, we saw how 72 disciples were sent out empty-handed to proclaim the kingdom of God's coming. You better get on that train because if you don't, it's still coming and there's our eternal consequences, eternal life or eternal condemnation. And then last week we saw that this calling means that we should have the compassion of Christ, that we should be moved by the compassion of Christ to take the message of the gospel even to those that we might consider unworthy or beyond our own boundaries, that we say, this is not my neighbor, where Jesus has exploded our boundaries and said, oh yeah, everyone is your neighbor, even that person that you've personally written off in your own mind saying, I don't have to love them for whatever reason you can justify it in your own mind. But the Lord said, no, even them. We are to take the gospel to everyone and everyone should be not, no one should be off limits. Obviously, this is too much for us to handle, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. Who's going to be able to do all this? I mean, week in and week out, I keep hearing from you going, okay, bro, let's get past this section of text because this is no fun. And I'm like, I'm right there with you. I mean, we are sinners, we are selfish, we hold grudges, and there are lots of people that we don't want to love. And I could go on and on about the impossibility of us carrying out this task on our own. The obvious next lesson should be one of, we need Jesus, right? We need to spend a lot of time in prayer. And that's exactly where Luke goes. Luke is going to record to us our great instructor, Jesus, he's going to instruct us on how to pray. So let's ask the Lord through prayer to teach us to pray. Lord, would you teach us to pray this morning? Would you just help us learn to pray? I've got a lot of things that I'm learning as you've been working on me and teaching me, and I think I've seen some things that you've led me to to lead the church to, to grow in prayer, Lord. So we ask that you would just help us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's look. At Luke 11, chapter 1, Luke says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. 
So here we're going to see, stop there, two reasons that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Why did they say, hey, teach us to pray? Two reasons. One, they saw Jesus praying. Number two, they saw that John's disciples had been taught to pray. When we look at the Gospels, we see Jesus, God in flesh, praying a lot. And if anyone had an excuse to say, I am too busy to pray right now, and if anyone had an excuse to say, I don't need to pray, it was Jesus. But in chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 9, a couple of times in chapter 9, in chapter 10, we see Jesus withdrawing and praying and spending time with the Lord. Also, the disciples said, well, like John's disciples. And so what we see in the gospel is this idea of prayer becomes a very distinguishing mark of Jesus' disciples. John's a follower, the predecessor, the final last great prophet who pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. He taught his disciples to pray. Clearly they saw John the Baptist pray and they said, teach us to pray. And so John taught them to pray. So prayer is a very unique distinguishing mark of the disciples of Jesus. And that's what's prompting this, this request, hey Lord Jesus, teach us to pray like we see you pray. And this is so unique about your life that we're wanting you to teach us what you're doing. And we see in Acts chapter 2, the same author of Luke, is the, the, the man named Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts, we see Luke recording the life of these very disciples who said, teach us to pray. And boy, did they get it. They learned and what we see in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and the rest of the book of Acts is these disciples learned how to pray very powerful, courageous, spirit-led prayers that enabled them to accomplish this journey, that this mission that God has placed them on. And so the Lord Jesus did teach them to pray. And my prayer is that that's what will be a distinguishing mark of our church. Now, I want to tell you, I'm excited. I, there was a journey. I don't have time. I've got so much I want to say. I don't, like, I don't have enough time. They're going to be like, okay, you run it, wrap it up, brother. But in my own journey, I hit a place in my life where I did not want to go to Wednesday night prayer meeting. But I wanted to pray, but that expression of it was just not very enjoyable and didn't feel much like the prayer I felt God calling me to, I had a lot of guilt and a lot of traditionalism, a lot of legalism I was working through. But one thing I do love is the idea that every member of our church is in a community group. And every week, however good the prayer is, at least I know that every week you're trying to pray together. The whole church is trying to pray. And that's a beautiful rhythm of the church. And so this idea of prayer takes many forms and many expressions. But I know, and I was just talking this morning with someone back here, that when we gather to pray in community, there's a large number of you that as soon as that idea, oh, we're about to start praying, you start sweating. Can I get a witness? There you go. That's right. Some of you are being honest. The rest of you are not so honest. But I've had people in my community group, beginning of the community group, lay down the gauntlet. I do not pray out loud, pastor. They're like, oh, no, I'm in the pastor's group. And I'm like, it's okay. Maybe we can learn together. Well, that's frankly what I'm asking. Lord, teach us, teach our church to pray. 
One last plug, shameless plug, core classes are designed to help you with the very cores, foundations of the faith. We have one coming up called Foundations. Sign up for that and you will be taught how to pray. But if you really want to learn how to pray, it's just like anything else. How do you do it? You practice, practice, practice. You just start doing it. You got some golfers in here. You didn't learn how to golf just by reading about it and learning about it in class. You started practicing and you realized this feels really weird. Everything about this is counterintuitive, but then you start to get the swing of it. That's the way it is with prayer. Okay, let's look at nine aspects of prayer. Is that just ridiculous? Nine. And, and guess what? They all start with the letter P. You're welcome. That's right. That's Holy Spirit right there. All about prayer. All right? So, nine aspects of prayer. Get your pens ready. Let's write these down. Now, Here's one main thing you want to take away if you get lost in all the P's, all right? Is it's all about knowing God as your Father, okay? Everybody missed that point because you saw whatever just blew up over there. It's just the door closed, I guess. All right, so let's get back here. All, it's all about knowing you are talking to your Father, that's what this text has beginning and end. Father, 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 Father. When you're praying, you're talking to your dad, your heavenly father. In verse 2, Jesus tells them how to pray. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. That's even hard for us to read because we have the other one memorized but that's to tell you, this is a form, this is a model prayer. So let's work through. The first thing we see is prayer is what? Personal. Write that down, that's your first one. Jesus instructs them to pray to God as Father. Now think about it, he didn't say pray dear creator, dear sovereign, dear master, dear king, dear president to use our language, dear governor. He didn't say that, not dear ruler. He said dear father, our father. Father, that should blow our minds that we're praying to God in a very personal, relational way. We pray to God as our personal Father. And in Luke 10, 22, Jesus said, No one knows who the Father is except the Son, Jesus, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Our second P is that prayer is a great privilege the fact that you know God as Father is a great privilege that Jesus, the first Son, has enabled you to even know or even have exclusive access. Someone's got to give you exclusive, privileged, personal access to the President of the United States. I'm standing in His presence. Oh, how much more a privilege it is that Jesus has enabled you to stand in the personal presence of God Almighty. And so it's a privilege to stand with the holy, almighty creator of the universe, the sovereign king, the one who has all of history in his hands, who spoke the universe into existence, and you get to go and speak to him personally because of Jesus. What a privilege. It's very personal. It's a privilege because Jesus has covered your sin. And the gospel is that. That in your sin, when you put your faith in Christ, he clothes you with his perfections, his righteousness. And that's why you are able to stand in the presence of a holy God and not be incinerated. 
is because you're clothed with his righteousness. It's a personal privilege and it's paternal. That's the third P, paternal. This is the really the main theme that's flowing through this whole text is father. Now some of us, you say, well, that doesn't really help me want to pray because I don't have a great father. Okay, well, you got to understand the biblical father is the perfect, holy, infinitely loving, omniscient, all-powerful, best father you could ever imagine. And then some, and he says, that's how I want to relate to you. It's a paternal relationship. He loves you. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to come spend time with you. What an incredible gift. Just a few implications of what it means to be able to pray to him as father. And there's so many, but just a couple. A child-father relationship, you being the child, means that you are humble, dependent, trusting, but speaking freely to your loving father. That's what prayer is. As a clueless child stumbling up into dad and saying, hey dad, I got some problems and I need help. Why would we be embarrassed of that? I mean, if you do sound like a bumbling child, then I would say, yep, that's right. That's what you are in prayer. If you think you're supposed to sound pious, you've got the wrong analogy in mind. It's child father. Think about your children, if God's blessed you with children. When they come to you to speak to you, that's the analogy Jesus uses. Hum humble. A child also of the same father... Relating to father, and then you're the child of the same father, you're the child of the same father, you're the child of the same father. So what does that make us, brothers and sisters? It makes us family. When we gather together to pray, we are family gathering to talk to our father. And this then, the final implication of this is relationship of father, child, brother, sister gives us our identity. This is the very core of who you are. You are Someone following Jesus on his mission who has been granted privileged personal access to the great I am. And when you come and gather with brothers and sisters, you're gathering with your family to talk to your father. It's incredible. I love what Joel Green points out in his commentary. He says, we see here an ongoing catalyst for community. Let's think about that for a minute. Prayer, this is one of the things the Lord really was thumping me with this week. Prayer is an ongoing catalyst for community. An ongoing catalyst for community is much different than a little thing we do at the end of a community group. Right? Prayer is an ongoing catalyst for community. Here's an illustration. It's a little bit of a reverse of of our analogy, but let me just see if it helps. It really helped me, man. I was like, oh, that's so helpful as I thought about it this week. So imagine that there's 12 of us. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all born to this family, and we are living in a foreign country, and we are ripped out of our parents' home. And we spend our whole life separated. And then one day, someone opens my eyes and reveals who my father is. And it's just rocking my world. And he's, he's really powerful, really important. And I get to call him dad. And then I discover I've got brothers and sisters who call him dad too. And so the very thing that we want to do as we get and start chatting and group chat or start calling, hey, let's all get together and let's call dad. 
And so this desire for me to know my dad and to relate to dad and to know that I've got other brothers and sisters who want to sit around on this turn the speakerphone and let's talk to dad, that very event of talking to our dad is what's catalyzing our community. It's what draws us together to say, let's together as brothers and sisters humbly approach and talk to this incredible father that we've discovered we have. You see that? Isn't that incredible? That's times a million, okay? That's our, our father, that Jesus grants us very personal, privileged, paternal relationship with. And that conversation, that act of praying and spending time talking to him is what catalyzes our community. It's what gives our community the reason to gather and the purpose and, the, and it gives it life. Mary and Martha were a text I jumped over that a lot of women are like, golly, why aren't you preaching on Mary and Martha? Because you already know the point. Be the Mary who made time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Don't be so busy about everything else. That's what prayer is, right? Pray. Prayer is sitting at the feet of your father and it catalyzes community with your brothers and sisters. It's also better be proper. That's what's next. Hallowed be your name. Prayer needs to be proper. Hallowed be your name is to recognize that God is holy and glorious, to recognize our need to treat him as glorious and holy. And so we must seek to pray and to live with proper respect of his glory and his holiness. So write down proper. Prayer should be proper. Now, when we say hallowed be your name, we're confessing our lack of holiness in our own lives and our repentance as we say Lord we want to hallow your name we want to bring glory to your name and we're we're saying that with a desired end result too of saying we want to reflect your glory so there's a a repentance in that idea of saying I want to live in such a way that brings glory to your name I want to live in such a way that extends your glory your hallowed glory to other places, which leads us to the next phrase in the prayer, your kingdom come. It's a glorious kingdom. And we're, when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, we're aligning our hearts, our minds, and our wills with God's purposes. There's another P, purposeful. Prayer should be purposeful. It should be kingdom-oriented. And this is the second big thing that the Lord really is, is working on me with and I think we need to work on as, as a church. I think in general all Christians struggle with this, but I think it's very important that we learn to make our prayer purposeful, that it aligns with this direction that we're on. We're on a journey of suffering for the kingdom of God that ends in the death of Jesus Christ. And so as we're on that journey and we're being sent out, then we understand that prayer is a very natural, I need Jesus if I'm going to bring his kingdom to my friends, to my neighbor. If I'm going to love that one who has abused me, if I'm going to love that neighbor that I've written off, if I'm going to love that one who I want to hate, I'm going to need Jesus' help to bring kingdom love in this way. So our prayers need, there's nothing wrong with asking for personal requests of I need prayer for healing or for family members. I'm not against that, but I'm saying that's not enough. 
It needs to be more than that. We need to have times in our prayer, in our community groups, that is not natural to us, but we've got to train our minds to think biblically, to think about what is God calling us as a people to do. God, would you help us to push back the darkness in Shreveport? God, would you restrain the evil one that's captivating lives in Shreveport? God, would you grant grace? Would you open hearts? Would you work to help us push back the darkness and to bring in the light? Do you ever pray that way? I don't think most of us do. And I'm not beating you up for it. I'm saying let's learn together how to do that. It takes a practice. It just takes practice. To, to open the word of God and see what God's mission is and to say, let's pray that that happens here. Let's, let's ask God for help. And how do I do that, Lord? Let's be honest that it's not just about sickness or, or some, some personal need, which is, we're going to see is important. But it's also learning how to say, Lord, I, I want to be honest here. I don't want to love that person. That's what we're trying to accommodate in community group. That's the goal is as you hear love your neighbor, even the person you would say, that's a disgusting Samaritan, that you go back in community group and say, Lord, help me love that person that I'm writing off as unlovely. It's learning to pray, God, help me obey the scriptures so that your kingdom will be advanced. Y'all see what I'm saying? That's the kind of prayer. yes. I'm excited this morning. I need interaction. All right. So I think we can all agree. Yeah, I need to learn that. I need to get better at that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful. That's what discipleship is, is saying, I need to get better at that. Let's do that together. Let's learn that this week in community group. Let's be purposeful with our prayer. And he says, give us each day our daily bread. This is provision. Next P, Provision. As we realize our identity is wrapped up in the glory of our personal father and his kingdom purposes. When we realize that's who we are, that's what we are to be doing is to be actively obeying him, advancing his kingdom. Then the very obvious thing is, I need the Lord's provision for this. And so when we ask, we're asking for provision. That includes everything in that process. Your personal needs Others' needs, gen general work of God in advance of our going, everything you can think of. And, and if, if you think, if you'll, it'll just be helpful to think, just picture this. I'm not saying this is what you got to do necessarily, literally, physically every day. But just picture, before you pray, Lord, just picture yourself walking into every street in Shreveport, into every community saying, Jesus loves you, Jesus be saved, Jesus be your salvation, the kingdom has come. If you literally picture yourself doing that, you would pray. Lord, number one, do not let them kill me. Lord, number two, give me courage to open my mouth. Lord, would you provide what to say if they actually ask me to talk about this? Lord, 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 Lord. If we really understand we are on mission and we are going, then we will start praying like this. I'm not beating you up. I'm right there with you. It doesn't have to just be that example, but you get the idea. 
Lord, my workplace is where you've called me to advance your kingdom. Lord, what does that mean? What does that look like? I'm a dependent child. I don't understand what that means. Does that mean just tell her a bit about Jesus? Ask your brothers and sisters, what am I supposed to be doing at work to advance the kingdom of God? Well, let's pray about that. Oh, my Lord, he's asking me to lead a Bible study. Okay, Lord, how do I do that? What do I do? What do I say? What resource do I? Let's pray like that. And he will provide. Like manna in the desert. The Israelites were in the desert, struggling, wandering, starving, whining about, oh, the good old days in Egypt when we were enslaved. But we had lots of pots of meat, right? And Jesus gave them what bread? Donuts from heaven, but only enough that lasted one day. Manna. One day. And if they collected enough for tomorrow, it spoiled and had maggots. He says, no, 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 no. You're going to depend on me one day at a time. And that's what he does. He will provide one day at a time. That's terrible, isn't it? Why can't he give us like a little advance? Makes us depend on him one day at a time. Provision. Prayer is about provision. Next we see prayer should be penitent. Penitent. Not in the formal Catholic sense of the word, but penitent. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. The most important provision God provides is the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. What we see here is that our prayer should be penitent. In other words, we should be asking God with understanding that we ourselves need to be forgiving and gracious and merciful. The way it's worded here sounds almost like forgive us because we've forgiven others. And that's not at all what it means. You don't earn your forgiveness by being forgiving. What he is saying is that you have a repentant attitude. A penitent prayer means you have a repentant, confessing attitude that I constantly need the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is expressed in the way I live towards others. The uh, second half of that phrase is forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's our role. That's a different word than sin. It's not just forgiving their sins. It's saying, I'm because the way you have treated me, I'm going to treat others differently. I'm going to extend grace and mercy and compassion. In a society that looks to indebt others to me, it says, I'm not going to live that way. Because you have been gracious to me, I'm going to live in a forgiving, merciful, gracious way towards others. At work, in my family, and in every context in which I find myself, Lord, help me to do that. Because I don't want to do that. Every day I wake up, I don't know about you, but maybe I'm the only one here. But when I wake up, I want everyone to serve me. That's just my first inclination of my heart. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if someone just brought me coffee? My first inclination not, is not, I want to bring other people coffee. That's in our DNA. That's our sin nature. We need to pray, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Be gracious, merciful, kind, and live gracious, merciful lives. The next is we should be praying for protection. Protection is your next P. Pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation. When we pray 
this, we're confessing our dependence on his divine care and his divine protection from sin. We humbly confess our need that, God, we need you to protect us from ourselves. If we are supposed to be out there living glorious, holy lives, oh, Lord, do I need God's protection from my own sin and temptation. I've told you many times, one of the best things I ever learned in seminary was when a, a professor said, just quickly as an aside, brothers, remember one thing, you are always one step from stupid. Amen. We've seen it too many times. Too many pastors fail because they're one step from stupid and they're not praying, oh, God, protect me from sin. Protect me from temptation. Lord, grant me holiness. That's what children of a holy God should be praying. Lord, protect me from sin. Lead me not in temptation. And so here we see prayer is personal. It's privileged. It's paternal. It's purposeful. It's for provision. It should be with a penitent heart. It is for protection. And finally, it needs to be persevering. Have you gotten all nine? See? I told you we could do this. It's persevering. Now, what you wanted to say when you read this is, oh, why didn't he say persistent? Because I want to show you there's a little bit different understanding here than what we typically think this text. Look at verse verse 5. He said to them, which of you has a friend... Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. The phrase at my house is, Kitchen's closed. All right, let me stop there. I need to explain this, because in our minds... This is, we don't get this story. We miss the point because we have a different culture. In our minds, which of you has a friend that would wake up a friend at midnight and we would say, I would never do that. I should have had enough in the pantry. That's terrible. Why would anybody wake up their neighbor in the middle of the night and ask for help feeding an unexpected guest? No, that's rude. That's socially unacceptable. You don't do that. And that's exactly the opposite of the point of this story. In their culture, that's exactly what they would do. It was absolutely expected. They made enough bread for one day. They wouldn't have enough bread for some unexpected guest to arrive. And it was a very, very uh, communal. It was a, like a village that we help each other any time of night. That's what friends do. That's what Our, our houses are so one-roomed buildings and about 12 people in a house sleeping with a little wall that separates us. If, if you have an unexpected neighbor, we're all up anyway. What can I do to help? Oh, hey, we need some help. we got to fix some food. I didn't know this guy was coming in town. And so the, the gist of the parable is not, how dare you ask a friend in the middle of the night? How dare you wake him up? You should have been prepared. That's not the point at all. The point is, which one of you thinks a friend would say no? That's the point. The point is when a guest comes in town and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ and you have a need and you ask, hey, can you help me out here? The dude would never say, kitchen's closed. That's the point of the parable. And so what he's saying is, this is what it's like with prayer. When you ask your father for something, he's never going to say, kitchen's closed. It's a bad time. 
I know you wanted to help someone, but no, I'm not going to provide for you. It's the exact opposite of that. He's saying, you can persevere in prayer and knock and ask because he'll never treat you that way. He's a friend. You never say, don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me and I can't get up and give you anything. And so he goes on and Jesus tells us in verse 8, I tell you, let me give you another reason you can know he's going to pers- you can persevere because he's going to get up. Number one, because he's a friend. Number two, in verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up, this bad friend won't get up and give anything because he's a friend. He will, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What does that mean, impudence? It means, uh, literally, I looked it up. It says, impudence refers to the sensitivity to what is proper. In other words, maybe he won't do it for your friendship, a bad friend, but he'll get up to save face. That's what this friend example is. He'll get up to save his own glory, to save his own name so that other people don't think about him. So he's basically saying, Jesus is saying, don't worry. If you ask me for something, I'm going to get up. I'm better than this friend. I'm never going to turn you down. In fact, even if that wasn't good enough, I'm going to do it because I'm going to do it for my own glory. I'm going to do it for my own name's sake. I'm going to make sure that my glorious name is known throughout this community. So you ask and you keep asking. And don't give up. You persevere in prayer. Now, what kinds of prayer? Give me that Cadillac. Give me that Mercedes. Give me that Porsche. No. You see, persistent prayer, this text is often used. See, if you just badger God enough, like if you just, if you just wear him slap out, like I have been known to experience with my children before, I finally just say, okay. That's not what this is praying, that if you just ask hard enough, want it bad enough, God will give you whatever you want. This is kingdom-oriented, purpose-driven prayers that you can persevere knowing that God will give you what you need and he is committed more than you are to the advancement of his own glorious kingdom. So persevere in prayer. If at first you don't get what you're asking, keep persevering, keep asking. He wants to answer you in his perfect timing. Verse 9 and 10, I tell you, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open to you. Keep persevering. Don't give up. It's made even more clear in verse 11. Look at verse 11. It goes from friend to father. Back to the paternal idea. The father. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? What kind of sick dad would do that? Right? Or if he asks for an egg, something he needs, he's going to say, no, let me give you a scorpion. He says, if you then, as a human father who are sinful and evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your perfect heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit who asks him? Wait, where'd that come from? Holy Spirit just like popped in there out of nowhere, didn't it? When I read that, I was like, wait, what? So let's first deal with the idea of this analogy of what he's saying from lesser to greater. That you as an earthly father get the idea that as a, as a dad, you're going your, to give your children what they ask for if it's good for them. He says, well... 
you're a sinner and you know that. So how much more will God persevere in prayer knowing that he is your father, he loves you, and he will provide? But then this idea of the Holy Spirit that seems to pop out of nowhere is like we hadn't asked for the Holy Spirit. That's not what, what is going on here? Well, Jesus uses that as an example. He works that into the prayer because that's exactly what these disciples, their greatest need is as they are on mission to spread the kingdom of God. And in Acts, after he has gone to the cross, he's died, he's buried, he rose again, something new starts to happen. You see, they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at that stage of redemption. They didn't have the Spirit of God dwelling in them until after Jesus ascended to heaven and the Spirit of God came. And by the way, your greatest need in prayer is to depend on the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the great privilege that Jesus has granted to us. He is your loving Father. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to join Him as He's on, as you're on His mission, as you're obeying Him. He says, Come to me, call to me. And as you individually call to Jesus, as called to God as Father, we're brothers and sisters coming together. It catalyzes our community, it's what brings us together jointly, depending on the Lord, unified in our desperate need for the Father, but also unified on our mission and helping each other out. I really want, this to, I really want us to grow in this, y'all. I really want to see us grow in kingdom-oriented prayer that is depending on the Father for all the things related to advancing the kingdom. So let's work on it. How's it going to happen? It's just going to happen as we stumble and bumble and practice and shank a shot here and there. But you know what? Sooner or later, we're going to get better at it. And that's what I want to ask you to join me in doing. Let me ask you this, though. Do you know God as Father? Or is that like a radically foreign concept to you? Man, it's awesome. He's, he's, he's the best father you could ever have. And the way you come to know him as father is by faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Christ, that his death on the cross was forgiveness for your sins, and God adopts you as his child. Would you trust in Christ today? Father God in heaven, we pray that you would bring these words to bear, this text to bear on our hearts, that we would apply them, that we would truly learn to pray to you as our Father and as we carry out your will for our lives that we would